Today's episode is quite special. We are having our free text first Friday. In fact, it's the last free text first Friday of 2023. And the topic is, what does it mean to be disciplined as a follower of Christ? Far from the negative connotations of punishment or rigid control or, you know, biblical discipline is rooted in the outflow of God's love. Through the Holy Spirit, God patiently transforms believers into the image of Jesus, purifying them as vessels set apart for holy use. Now, for many Christians, the call to obedience clashes with our cultural preferences for self-determination and comfort. How do believers embrace discipline not as an oppression, but as an invitation to share in Christ's sufferings and holiness? What practices and postures enable divine discipline to shape our human hearts? What even is the church, and what does it mean to be a member of her? Good morning and blessed Pentecost. Today is Friday, November 3rd, and you're listening to Thy Strong Word, where each weekday morning we explore the Holy Scriptures through which God bespeaks us righteous and nourishes our faith. I'm your host, Pastor Phil Boo of St. John Lutheran Church in Laverne, Minnesota. Thy Strong Word is brought to you in part by the Lutheran Heritage Foundation. You can learn more about their translating and publishing work on their website at lhfmissions.org. All right, folks. Well, this morning, we're a little late getting started because eh, just to do something special, we're actually live streaming the episode on KFUO's Facebook page. You can head over to facebook.com forward slash KFUO radio, and you can watch as we discuss our topic for today. Uh, my guest for this morning is the Reverend James Helms, Jr. He's the pastor of Holy Cross Lutheran Church in Greenbelt, Maryland. Uh, good morning, Pastor Helms. Welcome back to the program. It's good to be back. Well, I'm so nice to have you here. I'm excited to get through this topic. Now, the topic you chose, uh, discipleship, discipling, discipline, it was kind of hard to come down on exactly what we were going to call it, because we're not just going to be talking about like discipline, uh, we will, but we're talking about what it means to be disciplined into a believer. Uh, Give me a little insight on why you wanted to talk about this particular topic. Well, it is a topic that, um, so, you know, background, I didn't go to one of our Lutheran seminaries. I went to a a Baptist seminary and colloquialized into the LCMS. Uh, this was a topic that was spoken of a lot at the seminary I went to, what it is to what church discipline is in general. And when I got out, you know, uh, got out of seminary and before I had colloquized in, you know, I'm looking around and it seemed like everyone had a very negative sense of what discipline is. There's this American idea of I should have this libertarian freedom to do whatever I want. And if you tell me law, well, you're just violating the gospel by doing that. But, you know, the scripture teaches both law and gospel. Law is there to do many things, including keep us wise, keep us on the narrow path. It is, it is good for us. It's not just there to tell us we're dirty, awful people and make us feel bad. Um, and also in my short time here, you know, I, I have seen uh, often when you get into, basically nobody likes to be told that they can't do whatever they want. And sometimes that can be abrasive. So 
I just I thought it was a topic that we could get into more as a church, I guess. Sure, sure. Well, let's well, we can get into it today. That's certainly on the agenda. Before we do anything though, would you start our time together off with prayer? Of course. Heavenly Father, thank you once again for this time you've given us that we can come together to peacefully study your word and good theo- good theology. We pray those for those around the world who cannot peacefully gather to to study your word and to even gather as a church that you would be with them and keep them steadfast in the one true faith so we can stand together with them and with before you forever in the final age. Amen. Amen. Well, why don't we begin with the very basics? So when we're talking about church discipline, discipline for the Christian um, who belongs to a church, I think it's prudent to begin with what is the church? I mean, what does it mean to be a member of a church? Uh, starting wherever you want, let's talk about church. Uh, what, it, what does it mean to be a member of the church? Well, coming out of the Book of Concord, the Augsburg Confession, it says, it is the assembly of all believers among whom the gospel is purely preached and the holy sacraments are administered according to the gospel. That's Article 7, if I'm reading my Roman numerals correctly. Uh, also, it says in 8, yet because in this life many false Christians, hypocrites, and even public sinners remain among the righteous, the sacraments, even though administered by the unrighteous priests, are efficacious all the same. So there, I'm not going to get... What is the church is not the topic today, but just to briefly say, you get this sense of, I've heard outside of Christian circles, this idea of the visible versus invisible church. I think Lutherans that I speak to don't like to use those terms a lot, but there's the visible church that is, you know, four walls and everybody's sitting in the pews, but there's also the invisible church in the sense that it is the ecumenical body of everyone who believes, teaches, and confesses the pure gospel of Jesus Christ. And even those who make errors, like, you know, somebody might attend a Baptist church and they don't have a right understanding of what baptism is, but they believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ, that they are sinners, and that it's only through him that they find salvation. I would argue they, they're, they're you know, they're also a part of that. They well, uh, I was going to say, you know, visible and invisible sides of the one true church, that's something we teach uh, in Lutheranism, and and that is that, you know, the, the visible side is just that. It's what you can see. So mm-hmm. it's all those who are gathered around word and sacrament, and we can see them. But, of course, it includes hypocrites, but we just mm-hmm. don't know the difference. With the invisible side of the church being all true believers no matter where they are, and, of course, it's invisible because, well, it it's based on faith, true saving faith, and only God can see that. We can't. So we do talk about that a lot. So I suppose in our context for today, we're speaking of the invisible church in the sense that God is shaping believers through his law and discipline, while at the same time, the visible church also has to exercise discipline for good order because the Bible commands it. Um, so being a part of a church, I guess, is willingly submitting yourself to the word and will of God. 
But to do that, well, we don't do it perfectly. So it takes training. So I suppose that sort of shifts then our conversation into what exactly is discipline then? I mean, if we're a member of a church and that means we're gathered together around God's sacraments because of the faith that God has given us, then what does it mean to be disciplined as a Christian? Well, what I would first want to define what is discipline. And I take this from the Webster Dictionary. It says, training that corrects, molds, or perfects the mental, mental faculties or moral character. Uh, more or less... So the way I would... So discipline... the Discipline is not necessarily just a negative sense. There's a positive sense of discipline too. Discipline is training that keeps us away from negative things we ought not to do, but also teaches us to do things that we should do. And this is something that Jesus commands the church to do. I would argue that comes from the Great Commission. What does he say? Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Well, what does it mean to teach people to observe all that? That's to discipline, to teach them all the things that Jesus Christ taught. When Jesus said, for example, if your eye causes you to sin, cut it out and cast it away, not literal. Did he mean that literally in every situation? No, but he's teaching that we should avoid sin when at all possible. And this is one of the things that they taught. This could also be things like the Lord's Supper. What is it? Well, we discipline by teaching what the Lord's Supper is and saying, well, you should desire the Lord's Supper and, and seek to have it. And so church discipline is the church teaching the commandments of Christ, both law and gospel, for the edification of the church's children, which is the saints, so that we would do good works for our neighbor and remain steadfast in the one true faith as we await Jesus Christ. So we have you, you talked about positive types of disciplining and and certainly negative types of training. Um, positive examples would be just the the teaching of Christ, right? Teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Well, what did he command? Well, that we should imitate him, that we should strive to keep the law, that we should put all of our faith, hope, and trust in God. And so that's a positive example. But even positive examples can be. I guess for lack of a better word, painful. They can be uh, uh, straining on someone. So, you know, this is why we talk about when we when we deliver the law, that is you must do this or you must not do that, even though it's a positive thing in the sense that it's direction from God on how we could live the best way he He wants us to live. At the same time, people balk at it. They resist it. They, they kick back at God because even in positive discipline, they don't, just our natural nature wants to revolt against God. And because of that, sometimes there are negative disciplines. We, you, an example from the Bible is, you know, the whole spare the rod, spoil the child thing, right? There's disciplinary measures that are sometimes necessary. But let's talk a little bit about 
when we when we talk about discipline in the church, you know, what are the what are some of the positive examples and the negative examples? But also talk a little more about why both of them might feel negative from time to time. Well, whether it's positive or negative discipline, at the end of the day, it is someone outside of you teaching you what you ought or ought not to do. And that can be frustrating for many people because the fact is adults have the same problem that children have. <laughs> when, when I discipline my children and tell them you ought to do this or you ought not to do this, in the moment, they usually don't enjoy that. But that's no different than me if I do something uh, in the... Okay, so for background, those who know I am bivocational, I have a job outside of the ministry. If I do something at work and the employer says, you know, I've spent five hours doing something, and the employer comes back and says, don't do it this way, do it a different way, I'm going to be frustrated. But that's, that's, I mean, discipline in the long run is good. You know, when, if you get a parking ticket, yeah, it hurts. I don't want a parking ticket. That's not fun. But that's the officer doing his job so that I would learn to park in the correct place. Why? Well, that parking space is reserved for a reason. Let's say you parked in a handicapped spot. Yeah, I got that parking ticket, so I would stop parking in the handicapped spot. Why? So that my neighbor who is handicapped can have that spot. Uh, but it, But in the moment, it feels like I'm just being told what to do, and I don't like that. Well, and, and isn't that sort of the human nature? I mean, even even if there's we, – we call it constructive criticism, right? Even if someone does it with the best of intentions, in the nicest of tones, with a smile on their face, if they're telling you basically that you've done something wrong, I think most of us – for most of us, I can speak for myself for sure, my knee-jerk reaction is to become defensive. Uh, and in fact, I have become defensive. Sometimes I have to really check myself. Because, you know, especially if you're being corrected in something that you've you've done for a while or you believe to be okay. And I think this happens as pastors too. We go to congregations, especially if you're the new pastor, and you say, Well, let's do let's do a, a communion a little differently because I think this will better better um communicate what we're doing here. Well, people naturally get upset even at that kind of change and disciplining because they say, oh, so are you saying that, you know, the sainted pastor before you was wrong? You know, so so when we ever we are out there and we are making corrections in people's lives, even if it comes from the word of God, even if you do it the nicest way, people are still going to kind of react viscerally to that oftentimes. And that's what makes, I think, any kind of training so hard, whether you're training children as they grow or whether you're training uh, parishioners or whether you're training yourself as a parishioner or as a pastor, whether you're out there and you're trying to grow in your faith, it, it's kind of like exercise. It takes work, but it certainly uh, has its benefits. Mm -hmm. uh, that uh, Children have, children and adults suffer from the same, from the same concupiscence. We, we don't like being told what to do. And that, it really, that really is how it is. You don't you don't grow out of your sins that you had as a kid. They just manifest differently. Um, so, 
So what we're going to do here is I think we're going to take just a break. Now, folks, we actually are not live streaming. I've just heard we're having some technical difficulties, but you should still be able to hear us out there in Radio Land, also on podcast and on demand after the fact. We still getting out there all the ways we can. We're trying something new, and sometimes we have some issues with it. But I tell you what, we're going to take a break. Don't go anywhere. When we come back, we're going to keep on talking about new obedience and discipline. See you on the other side. Every Sunday at 9.30 a.m., you are invited to dig into the scriptures with God's people at St. Paul's Lutheran Church in De Pere, Missouri. This in-depth Bible class goes verse by verse through the scriptures, pointing out the meaning of the text and its application for Christians today. Recordings of prior classes are available on kfuo.org. Grow in your knowledge and understanding of scripture every Sunday at 9.30 a.m. on KFUO. Christ for you. Anytime, anywhere. Does your church have a special event coming up during Thanksgiving, Advent, Christmas, or New Year's? Want to get the word out and support the gospel proclamation on KFUO Radio? Consider becoming a Church of the Week sponsor with a gift of $600. You'll receive 35 announcements during the week to tell people about your event, and your pastor will be featured on one of our programs. So give me a call, Rev. Doug Gribbenau, at 314-996-1512, or visit our website, kfuo.org, and click on Connect, then partner with us. Welcome back, dear listeners. I'm Pastor Phil Boo, your host, and this is Thy Strong Word. With me this morning is the Reverend James Helms, Jr. He's the pastor of Holy Cross Lutheran Church in Greenbelt, Maryland. And right now, we're just having a casual conversation about discipline. You know, being in the, what, it, what does it mean to be a member of the church? What does it mean to be trained and shaped by God's word and law? What do we owe to one another? What does church discipline look like? And why do we always react so negatively to correction? That's the just some of the things that we're talking about today as we meander our way through this topic. Remember, if you have any feedback, questions, or comments, you can feel free to reach out. You can email me at pastorboo at gmail.com. You can find me on Facebook, or you can also call into the studio, 800-730-2727. Any of these methods can get your question or comment out on the air. Now, we've been attempting to do some live streaming. I don't think it's going to happen today, folks, but we'll try again in the future. But for now, we want to get right back into our discussion. So, Pastor Helms, before the break, uh, we were wrestling with a few technical issues, but just focusing on the topic, we in your notes here, you mentioned that church discipline is an extension of the patriarchy of Jesus Christ. <laughs> so you mentioned <laughs> words like, Church, which is unfavorable to today's world, uh, discipline, which is unfavorable to everybody, uh, Jesus, you know, every knee should bow to him, but many don't. And then you, the meanest, most evil word of all, the patriarchy. Talk a little bit. In, <laughs> yeah, talk a little bit more about that. To put that out there. Yeah. <laughs> Let's talk about um, patriarchy because because a hierarchy in the ordering of the way God has established the world is not a bad thing. Um, no. It doesn't mean it can't be used sinfully and doesn't mean it has not been 
um, exercised sinfully over the years. But tell us why patriarchy is a good thing and, and how it relates to church discipline. So I w- I've been this whole time trying to jumble around in my head when to introduce that word, because I know it is a hot button word for a lot of people. But the fact is, church discipline is an extension of divine patriarchy. And what do we mean by that? Well, we have our patriarch in Jesus Christ, you know, in, in God. He is the head of the church, which is the bride of Christ. The church is a divinely instituted institution. I, uh, it, we can we are only authorized to do to say you know as a as pastors especially we i i feel this i am only authorized to preach teach and confess from the pulpit what the bible teaches me to say my job is to be his messenger the the church doesn't have the luxury of just teaching and preaching whatever it wants it is the bride of christ and as the bride, it submits to its head, which is Jesus. Uh, it, it, an example for my life would be, you know, there is my one of my children had done something and I came and, you know, I disciplined them and they didn't like it. So they they turned to mom and said, mom, dad did this and, and I, I and I'm upset and being the amazing wife that she is, she turns to the child and says, I'm not overriding what your father said. Because as the father, I am the head of the house. She's not overriding what I said. In the same way, the church cannot override Jesus's teaching. Where scripture speaks, that is the final answer. And, and so, yet, but, but as I say, and yet so many churches have uh and really this was an issue that we had that part of what sparked the reformation is that many in leadership and churches have taken it upon themselves to either add to what jesus has said uh, replace what jesus has said with some sort of human opinion or just throw it out and ignore it altogether those things continue into this day and age um I, i think that's the biggest struggle that i have sometimes when trying to communicate why we do certain things we do like close communion, which is a disciplining thing, not a punishment yes. thing, but it disciplines us. It disciples us, but people go, well, you know, I, why can't we just let anybody come up? Why can't mm-hmm. anybody just be a pastor? Why can't, and and the truth is for most of those things, I can say, well, Phil Boo didn't make the rules. Phil Boo sometimes has a hard time seeing exactly why God established X, Y, and Z. But here's what I know he did. And it's clear in his scriptures. So it turns out it doesn't matter what Phil Boo thinks. You know, my job is yeah. to do what God says because he's he's uh, he's God. <laughs> There's nothing else you can say about it. Yes. And I, I have learned that sometimes that is not easy because what I am compelled to teach by the scriptures is is not popular, uh, including closed communion. It's it's not popular. Uh, it, people will ask why. I, why can't my family member who came from, I don't know, Wisconsin or wherever, why can't he or she commune? And I mean, the answer is because closed communion is all about fatherhood. 
So there's this, uh, the, the, the patriarch principle. I'm part of a, an ecumenical uh, discipline where we commit ourselves to do the Psalms every day. And one of the things that we, we have is this patriarch principle. It says that all authority comes from above to those below for the sake of those lower still. So you mentioned closed communion. We can talk about that specifically. Uh, if somebody, I, I've had to do this uh, once or twice where somebody comes and, and, you know, I tell them you're not going to commune today because of X, Y, or Z. And that is seen by some people as a mean thing to do, but I am only exercising the authority that has been granted to me from above. I cannot go. It's just like when I was in the military, I cannot go against the orders that come from above, but I do that also not because I'm trying to be mean, but it's all about taking care of those lower down still not to say that I'm better than them, but to say that I'm charged with taking care of you. Uh, if you are living, let's, let's go to the extreme example, the, the you know, I, you're banned from communion sort of thing. Well, why would we do that? Well, maybe you're, someone is living in an unrepentant lifestyle They're They have an unrepentant sin that they don't want to give up. And that is a sin that's perceived to endanger their faith. If they continue in this, uh, they, they have, they are in danger of compromising their faith and falling away from the church altogether. And so if we're, for example, in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, he's talking about a person who is engaged in sexual immorality. And at verse 5, or no, sorry, okay, so verse starting at verse 4, he says that when they are assembled in the name of the Lord Jesus and he is spiritually present, he commands them what? To deliver the man to Satan for the destruction of the flesh so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. He's telling them to put him, put that person out of communion with the body so that, as you know, I would paraphrase and say, so that he would get a wake-up call, so that they would receive the message that what he's doing is not okay. And hopefully it's in the... It's not because we're trying to exclude people from the gospel. It's not where we're trying to tell people you're not good enough for the gospel. What we're doing is in the hope that having received this hard discipline, they would turn back to the teachings of Jesus Christ, repent of their sin, and receive absolution. Just to so people can focus on that passage, uh, he's talking about 1 Corinthians 5. I want to read 11 through 13. Paul writes, but I am writing to you not to associate with anyone who bears the name of a brother if he is guilty of sexual immorality or greed or is an idolater, a reviler, a drunkard, or a swindler, not even to eat with such a one. For what have I to do with judging outsiders? It's not those inside the church whom you are to, is it not those inside the church whom you are to judge? God judges those outside. Purge the evil person from among you. So just to sort of, re I stumbled over the words a little bit. So to reiterate, he's saying, um, we are judging one another. Uh, are we going to go on the street as a church and say, you shouldn't do this, you shouldn't do that? Well, 
in the context of maybe proclaiming God's will for them, we might do that, but we don't go out there and exercise judgment on anyone. That's God's to do. We don't no. even exercise discipline on any of them. We just proclaim. We don't go out and, and, and discipline the world. But for those who are part of the body of Christ, he says, is it not those inside the church whom you are to judge? Purge the evil person from among you. So when people are disciplined by their church, I think sometimes they forget that this is a voluntary association. (laughs) You know, you have received the gift of faith, which is not your work, but God's. Thanks be to God. But then you then associate with a Bible-believing church. That's the idea. You associate with a congregation of believers where you can grow in your faith. This will inevitably include, though, correction as you're being trained. So I hear from that First Corinthians passage that the world's job isn't to go out and just correct everybody in society. We have enough on our hands just personal discipline and, of course, ad- admonishing and encouraging one another. I, let's go to Matthew 18 because this is a key passage when we talk about this. And Matthew 18, very famous, starting with verse 15. If your brother or sister sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen even to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Then the office of the keys comes. Truly I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Again, I say to you, if two of you agree on about anything, they will anything they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. Where for where two or three are gathered in my name, there am I among them. So we have here this very famous passage about if your brother or sister, that is someone in the faith, sends against you. The, there, there's sort of a, I don't want to say a procedure because it's not really like steps, but there is a, an order, an ordering to how you're supposed to deal with it. And and it seems like the first thing is to try to preserve their reputation. Let's talk about that a little bit. So with preserving of reputation, and, and reputation, it, I don't know. I've I've always seen this as um, when he says, "Let them be as a gentile or tax collector to you." I see that as uh, so you treat them as someone who is not a member of the church, mostly because they're acting like they're not a member of the of the church. And again, it's always so that they would come back in. That's the hope. Sure. It's not because we're trying to be mean to them. It's because we want them to be disciplined say don't act like this but there's all but keep you treat them as the tax gentile and tax collector well how do we treat the gentile and tax collector aka those outside of the church we treat them with an invitation to be of the church uh, it's like you said that we're, our job is not to go out there and tell everyone they're awful people <laughs> but, well well in a but, sense <laughs> but i want but i want to say that you, you talked about closed communion and you you would admit, though, that while no matter how nicely you say it, uh, someone might still be offended, at the same time, yes. there are tactful ways to approach it rather than just oh, yes. sort of. Okay, yeah. yeah. So I think in this case, what we have Jesus saying here is that you do have a duty to go and mm-hmm. address sins within other people. And, and Paul backs that up by saying, 
you know, we're to judge the brothers. He doesn't mean going around condemning each other to hell. He's talking about going around, recognizing no. the sin in our midst, and then striving to, I guess, correct them in a way that that is, I guess, that prevents the least amount of hurt to their reputation. So do as little you, damage as possible. Yeah. So you first go to him one on one, and boy, that's a lot easier. And I'm telling mm-hmm. you, folks at home, you know, if you have a problem with someone, just go to them first. Just go to them first. I know it's so tempting to call up your sister, your brother, your buddy, or or mm-hmm. anybody else and kind of vent. And I do it. I've done it. But but it's so much easier just to go to them one on one because. By the time you get to them, if you've been talking to other people, now you have two sins. They've sinned against you, but now you've sinned against them. And that's going to be a and lot harder uh, to uh, to reconcile. Go ahead, brother. I was just, I, and I would add in, you know, the I think we joked about this in some sense the last time I was on that phrase, am I my brother's keeper? Well, yes. Yes, you are. It's church discipline, although it is formally the job of the pastor or the elders or the leaders in the congregation, it can also come from a brother and sister, any brother and sister in Christ. Uh, If you, if a member of your congregation is up to anything and you catch wind of it, maybe, um, I don't know, maybe they're living with, a boyfriend or girlfriend unmarried and and you know because you you know you live near them and you realize oh they've been living together i mean it's really your job to go to them and say hey you're aware that this is contrary to the teachings of jesus christ and you do so and and again it's not it's never easy even even for a pastor it's never easy um but there is this responsibility to go to them first before bringing it to the church to try and convince them again to do as little damage as possible uh, and and they may not listen to you and that's why we have the steps if they don't listen to you then bring two or three people with you to talk to them and if they don't listen well then let the church handle it and then that's when you're basically giving in to what they want. That is, if they do not want to submit to Christ, then mm-hmm. they are an outsider. But you do it not just because you're like, well, I want to cleanse the church. But as you said already earlier, it's in hopes that they will take seriously the admonishment of the Lord and return in repentance. The problem is today, though, that Church A cannot exercise discipline over their parishioners because – They'll just go to church B. They'll go down the road. That, yeah, that is. You know, oh, Pastor Helms. Well, he's one of those old fashioned people that, you know, doesn't want people living together before marriage and still practices closed communion. Can you believe it? Well, I'll just go down the road and then I can just yeah. escape it. And it becomes even more troublesome when they're going down the road to other LCMS churches. So we end up saying uh, against each other when we don't exercise discipline rightly. But again, discipline, just as it comes from God out of his great love, must come from fellow Christians and pastors out of their great love for one another. You know, just fellow beggars showing people where to find bread. But um, as we move on, though, you know, we talked about being our brother's keepers. We're talking about close communion. I think it's very difficult in today's age to take a stand on anything, although we should, because we have such a cornucopia, we have such a buffet of different opinions that you can just subscribe to. So 
how do we how do you think we would as, as a pastor who um, has come from a different tradition who is um, you know also working out in the real world so to speak as as a, as a tent maker you know how do we how do we help people understand the importance of of being true or allowing God's word to discipline them when they live in a world that everybody else is saying, you have your own truth. You can believe and do however you want. What, what do you think we should do? I mean, how, do, how does that look in the church? First, let me say, I definitely feel that concern that many pastors probably have where, well, if I don't, if I push too hard on this, they'll just go down the street. I, where I live in this area and where I serve, you can't throw a stone too far without hitting a church. Uh, <laughs> They're on the same street. You might have four different denominations of churches set up. And if they don't, I, I have had at least one parishioner, even in my short time here, where uh, the individual decided what I was teaching wasn't too fun and, and went elsewhere. Uh, it was specifically because I was teaching what the, the Bible said. It's, I think... It is a temptation to just let things go. But let me say this. I have never in, in you know, I've only been a pastor here for a sh- short few months, but I was vicar here for a year before that. And there were plenty of people who came to visit and I denied them communion because they were not members of our Synod or a congregation within our synod or anyone with which we have fellowship, never once did anyone that I denied communion to get upset with me. It's always those in the congregation who have been here for 30 years and they're so very upset. Why didn't you commune that person? I would say to any pastor out there who, like me, stresses about this a lot, take heart in that the world is deprived of any sense of, I don't want to, what's the word? It's not, certainty is not the word I'm looking for. I like conviction. There's really no conviction out there. And so there's this one guy, he go, he's a member of a, a free Baptist church. He's visited my congregation several times. And he even brought his daughter, who is a missionary abroad. He brought her with both of them knowing, yeah, we're not going to get communion when we come today. He still comes. And every time he always tells me, thank you for having conviction. Thank you for believing something and acting according to it. Uh, So does it, does it hurt to think that some, that you might lose some members if, if you have conviction? Yes. But there are always those also who are going to respect you for it. Uh, I I think I may have trailed off from what you originally said, but that is. But no, I I, I like what you're saying because here's the thing: the church that stands up for right, right, right stands up for nothing will fall for anything. Yes, and, and, and that's what's happening. You in this effort to race to the lowest common denominator to to try to figure out the 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 singular point where we can agree so that we can just claim unity even though there isn't true unity, or the desire to fill the pews with people rather than to fill the people 
with the true word of God. Whenever you're forsaking God's will, his discipline, which as we've talked about this whole program just means to learn and grow in your faith, be corrected and move on. It's It, it can be done poorly because we're all sinful human beings. Churches can and have hurt people and run them off from the faith, and, and they'll have to answer for that. I'll have to answer for the time I've spoken a word unfitly. But at the same time, we don't give up. In the same way that we don't give up disciplining ourselves, we don't give up seeking forgiveness, the church can never give up proclaiming to the world the truth of God and also tending to the people in their care, helping them grow as Christians. You know, With your children, parents who have children, you know. You, you don't worry about the child's feelings when they're when their when their when their safety is in question, there are times when you have to act quickly and then sort of smooth it out later. Well, for the most part in the church, that, that, that's not always the case. We have plenty of time to help people form into the faith. So I do think approach is really important. But again, there's that there's that balance. Never give up anything yes. for the sake of the world, but also remember that you know we're we just work for him. We're, we are not God. Yeah, definitely. You gotta. Something I learned very early on, and probably the first couple of weeks being here, is I'm not working with robots. I'm working with people. Right. And so, you know, speak the truth in love. If you have all the truth in the world, you're this, you know, seminary, and you graduated, and you have all this perfect. You've memorized all three volumes of Peeper's Dogmatics, and you're the most accurate theologian in the world but if you do it in a mean way if you're just if if you're just out there being unkind well that's not how we're supposed to do it either sometimes you have to find a balance between being right and being gentle because if you're just rude to everybody the whole time you're not going to get anywhere well to use a cliche no one cares how much you know until they know how much you care and yes. to use less of a cliche, I turn to these two verses from St. Paul as we finish up the program. Second Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 6, he writes, Now we commend you, brothers, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you keep away from any brother who is walking in idleness and not in accord with the tradition that you receive from us. So we have Paul speaking the truth. If you have those who are... Uh, just in just in the in the way in the family in the church to cause problems then don't put up with that while at the same time at the same time he says in galatians chapter 6 brothers if anyone is caught in any transgression you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness keep watch on yourself lest you too be tempted so there always is that spirit of gentleness that must that also must uh, accompany our discipline. Well, that's where we're going to have to leave it, folks. So I'd like to thank my guest this morning, the Reverend James Helms, Jr., pastor of Holy Cross Lutheran Church in Greenbelt, Maryland. Thanks, Pastor, for being on the show. Sorry we couldn't get the live streaming to work, but I got to see you the whole time. It was nice seeing you. Nice hearing from you. Thanks. I should offer my condolences, I guess. <laughs> All right, folks. Well, when we come back on Monday, we're going to take up again the Gospel of Mark. Jesus embarks on a surprising detour that radically expands the boundaries of his ministry. You see, he goes into the Gentile regions of Tyre and Sidon. He, he grapples with a determined Canaanite woman begging for his help. And later, he performs a dramatic healing in some pretty unconventional ways. There's all kinds of stuff going on. 
So until then, may God's peace and blessings be with you all as we pray, Father, keep us in thy strong word.